This is a recording of Behold, He Was a Man Like Unto Ammon, Mormon's use of Aleph MN related terminology in praise of Moroni in Alma 48, by Matthew L. Bowen, published in Interpreter, a journal of Latter-day Saint Faith and Scholarship, read by Victor Worth. Abstract. This article examines Mormon's comparison of Moroni, the Nephite military leader, to Ammon, the son of Mosiah, in Alma 48.18, and how Mormon's use and repetition of Aleph Mem Nun related terminology, faithful, firm, faith, verily or surely, in Alma 48.7-17, lays a foundation for this comparison. Ammon's name, phonologically and perhaps etymologically, suggests the meaning faithful. Mormon goes to extraordinary lengths in the Lamanite conversion narratives to show that Ammon is not only worthy of his name, but that his faithfulness is the catalyst for the transition of many Lamanites from unbelief to covenant faithfulness. Thus, in comparing Moroni directly to Ammon, Mormon makes a most emphatic statement regarding Moroni's covenant faithfulness. Moreover, this comparison reveals his admiration for both men. At the conclusion of Mormon's famed panegyric for Moroni, Alma 48, 7-18, the first person to whom Mormon favorably compares Moroni is Ammon, the son of Mosiah. See Alma 48:18. Although Mormon's comparison also includes the other sons of Mosiah, of them he only mentions Ammon by name, suggesting that he is the main focus of the comparison. A close examination of Mormon's language leading up to this comparison reveals the logic of and the rhetorical preparation for it. Mormon's earlier account of Ammon in the Lamanite conversion narratives had emphasized, quote, the faithfulness of Ammon, close quote, e.g. Alma 18, 2 and 10, as a major catalyst in the conversion of numerous Lamanites to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the reversal of generations of unbelief to surpassing, quote, faithfulness. In Hebrew, concepts of being faithful, believing, steadfastness, faithfulness, and faith, trustworthiness, and firmness, were expressed with lexical forms of the Hebrew verbal root Aleph Memnun, apparently cognate with Egyptian MN, be firm, established, enduring, be fixed, stick fast, remain, which sound like and may even be cognate with the name Ammon. Indeed, the onomastic connection between Ammon and forms of Aleph Memnun, oral or etymological, is evidenced by the profusion of Aleph Memnun-related terminology in the Lamanite conversion narratives, Alma 17-27. In this study, I will endeavor to show how Mormon carefully lays the foundation for his comparison of Moroni with Ammon in Alma 48.18, through a concentrated use of Aleph Mem Nun related terms and concepts in the text preceding the comparison, Alma 48.7-17. The laying of this foundation begins with this contrast of Moroni with Amalekiah, Alma 48.7. He then builds on this foundation with successive descriptions of Moroni's faith and faithfulness. By directly comparing Moroni with Ammon, whose very name orally or etymologically suggests the meaning faithful, Mormon helps us see just how faithful both men were and how much he revered them. Some methodological considerations.
Many Latter-day Saints assume that the Book of Mormon name Ammon is simply the non-Israelite national name Ammon, abundantly attested in the Bible. However, there are good reasons not to default to this assumption. Firstly, Ammon, Hamon, is a non-Hebrew, non-Israelite national name and is not, as far as I am aware, ever attested as an Israelite personal name in the biblical corpus, external inscriptions, or any other ancient sources. Secondly, and perhaps relatedly, the national name Ammon is ascribed highly pejorative connotations by the ideological narrative of the national origins of Ammon and Moab in Genesis 19.30-38, see especially verse 38. This is evident in the Hebraized ancestral name Ben-Ami, son of my near kin, or more pejoratively, son of my grandfather. Notably, the non-Hebrew national Ammon is not the name of Lot's son, Ben-Ami. The Book of Mormon personal name Ammon may instead be a derivation from the Hebrew root Aleph Mem Nun, perhaps a variation on Amnon, faithful, or Ammon, faithful, a Davidic king who reigned over the kingdom of Judah sometime around the time Lehi was born. See 2 Kings 21, 19-26. Both of these Aleph Mem Nun names are attested as Davidic royal names in the Deuteronomistic history. Amnon is the firstborn son, see 1 Samuel 3.2, and heir of David, on whom David's promised sure house by Naaman, 1 Samuel 25.28, 2 Samuel 7.16, see also 1 Samuel 2.35, 1 Kings 11.38, might have been built, but who instead takes and rapes his half-sister Tamar seemingly in imitation of his father's wanton taking of Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, setting in motion a disastrous series of events that eventuates in Amnon's death and David's near loss of both his kingdom and his life. See Second Samuel 13-19. The Deuteronomistic historian who putatively compiled and edited the story from Deuteronomy to Second Kings reports that David's descendant Ammon was anything but faithful to the Lord and his covenant as king of Judah, 2 Kings 21, 18-22, and was assassinated, quote, in his own house, 21, 23. While the doubling of the M in the Book of Mormon name Ammon might have first seem a barrier to considering a form of Ammon, A-M-O-N, it should be remembered that doubled consonants were unwritten and unmarked in ancient Hebrew manuscripts. The Book of Mormon text, in any case, is inconsistent in its use of doubled consonants in transliterated names. Thus, Ammon as the attested personal name Ammon, A-M-O-N, let alone from Aleph Memnun, cannot be precluded or affirmed on that basis. Alternatively, the Book of Mormon name Ammon could also be derived from or related to the Akkadian Umanu, craftsman or expert which comes into Hebrew as Amon or Amon, A-M-O-N. The potential for word association with Hebrew Aleph Memnun, faithful, sure, on the basis of sound similarity, homophony, is clear. Without more information than we now have, e.g. access to the plates of Mormon, the question of the precise etymology of the Book of Mormon personal name Ammon will remain pending. 
Thus, the etymologies mentioned above all remain possibilities. On that acknowledgement, I proceed, further noting that for ancient writers and audiences, the sounds latent in names were often more important than real or scientific etymology. Whatever its precise etymology, the homophony between the names Ammon and the root Aleph Memnun, faith, loyalty, and faithfulness, appears to have been the basis for a wordplay throughout the Lamanite conversion narratives of Alma 17-27. Even if the initial consonant in the Book of Mormon name Ammon is the Hebrew pharyngeal fricative Ain, far from a certainty, we find onomastic wordplay involving the name Jacob, Yaakob, a name derived from the Ayn initial root, Ayn Kof Bet, in terms of the Aleph initial root, Aleph Bet Kaf, wrestle. Quote, and Jacob, Yaakob, was left alone, and there wrestled, Wayaabek, a man with him. Close quote. Quote, and the hollow of Jacob's, Yaakob, thigh was out of joint, as he wrestled, Beheabeko, with him. Genesis 32:24-25, and the Chet initial root Chet Bet Kaf embrace. Quote, and Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. Why Chabekehu? Genesis 33:4. Thus Ein Mem Aleph Mem Nun, people of Ammon, a phrase repeated throughout the Book of Mormon, 18 times in the Book of Alma and once in Helaman works alliteratively as a wordplay, especially upon the shared mem and the nun, whether the initial consonant is the pharyngeal ein or the glottal stop aleph. The same is true of the name Ammon and the aleph-mem-nun-related terminology in Alma 17-27 and later in chapter 48, with which it is frequently juxtaposed, at least in 20 instances in Alma 17-18 alone. Hebrew onomastic puns, like many wordplays and puns today, often involved roots etymologically unrelated to the name and with greater or lesser degrees of homophony, as illustrated by the foregoing examples and many others that could be furnished. It should be further noted that I assume here, for purposes of my thesis, that such wordplays would have been detectable and meaningful in the Reformed Egyptian script or characters Mormon used to record the Nephite language, which remained Hebrew to a greater or lesser degree throughout its history. See Mormon 9, 32-33. Given the fact that we do not have the plates of Mormon available to us to definitively affirm or disavow the findings presented here, they must remain tentative. Nevertheless, the internal evidence of the Book of Mormon text itself suggests that a replete thematic wordplay on Aleph Memnun related terminology in Alma 17 through 27, reinforced the idea that Ammon's name befitted his character, faithful, loyal, steadfast, a name he proved entirely in the performance of his mission among the Lamanites and the fruit of his faithfulness bore in their lives. In terms of earlier Nephite figures, Ammon furnished the ideal model of faithfulness with whom Mormon could compare Moroni. Moroni had been preparing the minds of the people to be faithful, Moroni as a teacher of covenant faithfulness. A significant feature of Mormon's narrative in the Book of Alma is a thematic paranomasia involving the names of two monarchic aspirants, Amalekai and Amalekiah. 
in terms of the Hebrew words malak, quote, be the king, close quote, become king or queen, reign, and melech, king. Flushed with the success of his usurpation of the Lamanite kingship, Amalekiah's initial monarchic ambitions, quote, and Amalekiah was desirous to be a king, C.F. Hebrew Melech, Alma 46.4, had achieved success to the point that he, quote, sought also to reign, C.F. Hebrew Limlok, over all the land, Alma 48.2. Mormon draws an ever starker contrast between Amalekiah and his egocentric monarchism and Moroni's selfless, faithful leadership. Quote, now it came to pass that while Amalekiah had thus been obtaining power by fraud and deceit, Moroni, on the other hand, had been preparing the minds of the people to be faithful unto the Lord their God. Alma 48.7 In ancient Hebrew, to be faithful would be expressed with a passive construction, participial or verbal, involving a form of Aleph Memnun. C.F.E.G. The Nifal plural participle Ne'emunim. The Abrahamic covenant significance of this verbal root emerges in Genesis 15.6, where the narrator records Abraham's response to the Lord's promise of seed as numerous as the stars of heaven, using a third-person masculine hifil perfect of Aleph Memnun. Quote, and he believed, Wehe'emin, in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Close quote. Abraham's believing, or having faith in the Lord, constituted a key aspect of his covenant relationship with him as, quote, unshaken faith in him, close quote, is for all who enter into the Abrahamic covenant and walk the covenant path anciently and now. See 2 Nephi 31.19. In terms of a relationship with Yahweh rooted in the Abrahamic covenant, ancient Israel's faith in Yahweh begins with the Exodus event, quote, Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed, Waya Aminu, the Lord and his servant Moses. Exodus 14.30-31 Just as the Lord's faithful acts toward Abraham, beginning with, quote, redeeming him, Isaiah 29.22, off of the altar in Ur of the Chaldees, Abraham 1, 15-20, became the basis for his own faith and faithfulness in Yahweh. The Lord's act that culminated in saving Israel became the basis for their covenant faithfulness. Brent Schmidt writes, quote, The covenant relationship is central to understanding the Amman lexeme of Hebrew faithfulness. The covenant of the patriarchs and the Exodus generation was completed in Leviticus 26 by the commandments revealed at Sinai, accompanied by the conditional promise attached to them. However, if Israel breaks the covenant, God will avenge the quarrel of the covenant. But mutual obligation also characterizes the covenant. Quote. These aspects of the covenant and the requirements of covenant faithfulness can clearly be seen in the covenant that Moroni concludes with the Nephites in Alma 44, 11-23, and the behavior that characterizes his faithfulness throughout his life. He was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ, Moroni the covenant keeper. As Israelites steeped in the ancient Israelite covenant tradition, the Nephites' concept of faithfulness 
and how it relates to the Abrahamic covenant directly derives from that tradition. When Mormon essays to describe Moroni's faithfulness, he is describing him as faithful to the divine covenant. Quote, and Moroni was a strong and a mighty man. He was a man of perfect understanding, yea, a man that did not delight in bloodshed, a man whose soul did joy in the liberty and the freedom of his country, and his brethren from bondage and slavery, a man whose heart did swell with thanksgiving to his God for the many privileges and blessings which he bestowed upon his people, a man who did labor exceedingly for the welfare and safety of his people, yea, and he was a man who was firm, cf. Hebrew Ne'aman, or Ye'amen, in the faith, cf. Be'emunat, of Christ. And he had sworn with an oath to defend his people, his rights, and his country, and his religion, even to the loss of his blood. Alma 48, 11-13 In classical Hebrew, faith and faithfulness, as a noun, is expressed with the term emunah, or emunat. One of the ways in which the idea of being firm could be expressed in classical Hebrew was through passive, nifal, forms of the verb, aleph, mem, nun, ne'aman, or ye'amen, to prove, to be firm, reliable, faithful. Moreover, Mormon's description of Moroni as, quote, a man firm in the faith of Christ, close quote, recalls three earlier uses of this phrase. Firstly, Mormon recalls his own description of the people of Ammon as the people of faithfulness. Quote, and they were called by the Nephites the people of Ammon, or people of faithfulness. Therefore they were distinguished by that name ever after, and they were among the people of Nephi, and also numbered among the people who were of the church of God. And they were also distinguished for their zeal towards God, and also towards men. For they were perfectly honest and upright in all things, and they were firm, when emanu, or wayaamenu, in the faith, Hebrew beemunat, of Christ, even unto the end, Alma 27, 26-27. In recalling his description and the scenes that led up to it, Mormon associates Moroni's being, quote, firm in the faith of Christ, close quote, with the people of Ammon being, quote, firm in the faith of Christ, close quote. The wordplay, a paranomasia on similar sounds, or possibly involving the, quote, repetition of words from the same root, close quote, in Alma 48, 11-13, recalls the wordplay on Ammon as an onomastic symbol of the Lamanite convert's firmness and faithfulness. An additional detail confirms Mormon's narratological strategy. Mormon's characterization of Moroni as, quote, a man that did not delight in bloodshed, close quote, finds a precedent in the very same text that describes the faithfulness of Ammon's Lamanite converts, quote, and they did look upon the shedding of the blood of their brethren with the greatest abhorrence, Alma 27, 28. Mormon reiterates this point regarding Moroni in Alma 55, 18-19. What's more, Mormon's description of Moroni as, quote, a man who was firm in the faith of Christ, close quote, recalls his earlier statement regarding the, quote, faithful who were true believers in Christ, close quote, in Alma 46, 15. Quote, and those who did belong to the church were faithful. Yea, all those who were true believers in Christ took upon them gladly the name of Christ, or Christians, as they were called, because of their belief in Christ who should come. Close quote. Mormon detailed how, for Moroni, 
Nephite covenant faithfulness was deeply rooted in their identity as a, quote, remnant of the seed of Joseph, close quote. Quote, and now who knoweth but what the remnant of the seed of Joseph, which shall perish as his garment, are those who have descended from us? Yea, and even it shall be ourselves if we do not stand fast in the faith of Christ. Alma 46.27 Standing fast in the covenant as the Aleph Mem Nun derived concept of Yahweh's covenant standing fast is attested in Psalm 89.28 Quote, My mercy, chasti, will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast, ne eminent, with him. Psalm 89.28 Isaiah had direct reference to this in Isaiah 7, with its infamous polyptonic pun on Aleph Memnun. Quote, If ye will not believe, im lo ta'aminu, surely ye shall not be established, ki lo te'aminu. Isaiah 7, 9, King James Version. Quote, If you do not stand firm in faith, you shall not stand at all. Isaiah 7, 9, NRSV Updated Edition. For Mormon and his predecessors to have, quote, died in the faith of Christ, close quote, was to have endured to the end. Quote, But there were many who died with old age, and those who died in the faith of Christ are happy in him, as we must needs suppose. Alma 46.4 King Benjamin had similarly taught, quote, And moreover, I would desire that ye should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. For behold, they are blessed in all things, both temporal and spiritual. And if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. Oh, remember, remember that these things are true, for the Lord God hath spoken it. Mosiah 2.41 And this was their faith, Moroni, the Nephites, and the Lehitic Covenant. Following a vision of divine judgment, the prophet Habakkuk testified that, quote, The just shall live by his faith, be amunato, Habakkuk 2.4 KJB, or, quote, The righteous live by their faithfulness, Habakkuk 2.4 NRSV Updated Edition. Psalm 31, one of the, quote, Hymns of the Jerusalem Temple, close quote, declares that, quote, The Lord preserveth, notzer, the faithful, emunim, Psalm 31, 23, Masoretic Text 24. John Goldengate notes that emunim, quote, is a rare form of a common root to refer to people who steadfastly keep their commitments, close quote. In this case, it refers to a covenant people who keep covenant commitments, namely divine commandments. Note the specific promised blessing associated with being emunim in Psalm 21.23 is the protection and preservation of life. Schmidt has recently noted that Aleph Memnun terms quote, expressed concepts of truth, confidence, relationships, and covenants. Close quote. It is quote, faith that expresses itself in terms of behavior rather than systematic theology. Close quote. The connection between Aleph Memnun terms like Emunah and Emunim to divine covenant and covenant-guided behavior, including trust in and reliance on God, is key to understanding Mormon's explanation of Nephite faithfulness and how Moroni's leadership fits into that framework. Quote, 
Now the Nephites were taught to defend themselves against their enemies, even to the shedding of blood if it were necessary. Yea, and they were also taught never to give an offense, yea, and never to raise the sword, except it were against an enemy, except it were to preserve their lives. And this was their faith, that by so doing, God would prosper them in the land, or in other words, if they were faithful in keeping the commandments of God, that he would prosper them in the land, yea, warn them to flee, or to prepare for war according to their danger, and also that God would make it known unto them whither they should go to defend themselves against their enemies. And by so doing, the Lord would deliver them. Alma 48, 14-16 Mormon's explication of Nephite faith and faithfulness in terms of defending and preserving life specifically recalls Ammon's martial expertise and the faithfulness ascribed to him in Alma 18. Lamoni's servants marveled at, quote, the faithfulness of Ammon in preserving his, Lamoni's, flocks, Alma 18.2. Lamoni averred to his servants his belief that Ammon had, quote, come down at this time to preserve their lives, Alma 18.4-5. Ammon asked Lamoni regarding his astonishment at his faithfulness, quote, Is it because thou hast heard that I defended thy servants and thy flocks, and slew seven of their brethren with the sling and with the sword, and smote off the arms of others, in order to defend thy flocks and thy servants? Behold, is it this that causeth thy marvelings? Alma 18.16 The clauses, quote, God would prosper them in the land, close quote, and, quote, that he would prosper them in the land, close quote, have reference to what Joseph Spencer and Kimberly Matheson have called the Lehitic Covenant, i.e., the initial covenant made to Lehi and Nephi that finds repeated expression throughout the Book of Mormon. Quote, Blessed art thou and thy children, and they shall be blessed. Inasmuch as they shall keep my commandments, they shall prosper in the land. But remember, inasmuch as they will not keep my commandments, they shall be cut off from the presence of the Lord. Alma 50.20 See also 1 Nephi 2.20, 2 Nephi 1.20. The covenant nature of faith and faithfulness, as articulated by Mormon here in Alma 48.14-16, directly recalls Moroni's speech to Zarahemna, as recorded in Alma 44-4. Quote, But now ye behold that the Lord is with us, and ye behold that he has delivered you into our hands. And now I would that ye should understand that this is done unto us, because of our religion and our faith in Christ. And now you see that you cannot destroy this, our faith. Now you see that this is the true faith of God. Yea, you see that God will support and keep and preserve us, so long as we are faithful unto him and unto our faith and our religion. And never will the Lord suffer that we shall be destroyed, except we should fall into transgression and deny our faith. Close quote. In other words, God's faithfulness to the covenant, the true faith of God, would be manifest in his support, protection, and preservation of Nephite lives and the Nephite nation to the degree that they were faithful, Ne'amenu, unto God, and to their own faith, Emunah. Mormon's correlation of covenant faith and faithfulness with the divine preservation of life in Alma 44, 3-4 and 48, 14-16 also looks forward to his inclusion of Helaman's account of the sons of the people of Ammon, 
where Helaman makes this same correlation. Quote, And now there, i.e. the Ammonite sons, preservation was astonishing to our whole army, yea, that they should be spared, while there was a thousand of our brethren who were slain. And we do justly ascribe it to the miraculous power of God, because of their exceeding faith, in that which they had been taught to believe, that there was a just God, and whosoever did not doubt, that they should be preserved by his marvelous power. Now this was the faith of these of whom I have spoken. They are young, and their minds are firm, and they do put their trust in God continually. Alma 57, 26-27 Covenant faithfulness in, quote, the sons of the Ammonites, Alma 57, 6, and in their parents, particularly their mothers who had taught them covenant faithfulness, Alma 56, 47-48, 57-21, resulted in the divine preservation of every one of these sons in battle. Helaman's repetition of the Aleph Memnun related terminology, exceeding faith, believe, the faith firm, here serves to reinforce the connection between Helaman's stripling Ammonites, Alma 56-57, and Ammon himself, especially in the face of the traditional Nephite association of Lamanites with unbelief, cf. Lo Emun, Deuteronomy 32-20, see Alma 56-2-3, in the context of 1 Nephi 12-22-23, Mosiah 1-5-6, Mormon 5-15, etc., this repetition of Aleph Memnun terms also helps Mormon's readers see that the faith of these Ammonite warriors was the match of Moroni, the general's surpassing faith. And this was the faith of Moroni, Moroni as covenant keeper. What Mormon describes as the Nephites' Emunah faith was also Moroni's Emunah. Quote, and this was the faith of Moroni, and his heart did glory in it not in the shedding of blood, but in doing good, in preserving his people, yea, in keeping the commandments of God, yea, and resisting iniquity. Alma 48.16 Again, the preservation of life and keeping the commandments of God are cited as two major elements of faith. Moroni embodied both. Moroni's doing good also embodied what it meant, or most often what it should have meant, to be Nephite. This faith was far more than an abstract belief or set of beliefs, or even intellectual acceptance of certain ideas. It was the consistent, reliable, durative performance of covenant obligations that formed the basis for a relationship of trust. It is Yahweh's constancy in the performance of covenant promises in the past that formed the basis for Mormon's point. His point is not simply that Moroni believed, quote, God would make it known unto them whether they should go to defend themselves against their enemies, and by so doing, the Lord would deliver them, close quote. His point is also that in the constancy of doing good, preserving his people, keeping the commandments of God, and resisting iniquity, Moroni qualified to receive covenant promises and blessings of divine warning and protection. Earlier in Nephite history, Omni records that he had actively fought to preserve the lives of his people, but had not maintained covenant faithfulness. Quote, Wherefore, in my days I would that ye should know that I fought much with the sword to preserve my people, the Nephites, from falling into the hand of their enemies, the Lamanites. But behold, I of myself am a wicked man, and I have not kept the statutes and the commandments of the Lord as I ought to have done. Omni 1 2. 
Although Amnon's self-confession may be somewhat self-deprecative, Amnon's son Amron was well aware of the devastating consequences that covenant unfaithfulness had incurred on his people during his father's and his own lifetimes. Amron describes these consequences as the realization of divine judgments directly attached to the Lehitic covenant. Quote, Behold, it came to pass that 320 years had passed away, and the more wicked part of the Nephites were destroyed. For the Lord would not suffer after he had led them out of the land of Jerusalem, and kept and preserved them from falling into the hands of their enemies. Yea, he would not suffer that the words should not be verified, lo ye amenu, which he spake unto our fathers, saying that, Inasmuch as ye will not keep my commandments, ye shall not prosper in the land. Omni 1, 5-6 The Lord's words are faithful, even if his people are not. Mormon, perhaps to a greater degree than all previous Nephite writers, knew personally and deeply the blessings of covenant faithfulness and the consequences of covenant infidelity. Consequently, he prized the legacy of Moroni as a military leader of the Nephite people, because he was, above all, a covenant keeper and faithful, Naaman, to the covenant. Moroni was as effective at instilling faith and faithfulness in the Nephites in his station as Ammon was in his station among the Lamanites. A verily, verily, I say unto you, the dauntless faithfulness of Moroni. At the high point of his praise of Moroni's faithfulness, Mormon continues to use Aleph Mem Nun related terminology. Quote, Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been and were and ever would be like unto Moroni, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. Alma 48.17 Although some might see it as a mean or mundane detail, Mormon's use of the idiom, Verily, verily, I say unto you, is significant. The synoptic gospels ubiquitously attest Jesus' use of the expression, Verily, I say unto you, Greek, Amen, Lego, Humin. And the Gospel of John attests the doubly affirmative, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Amen, Amen, Lego Humin. As a standard feature of Jesus' vernacular, the Greek texts preserve the adverbial use of the Hebrew term Amen, truly, verily, surely, used in both spoken Hebrew and Aramaic as a lucid example of Semitic interference. Mormon's account of Jesus' post-resurrection theophanies at the Temple in Bountiful and subsequent events pertaining thereto records Jesus using both. Indeed, Mormon's use of the idiom, Verily, verily, I say unto you, in Alma 48.17, almost certainly derives from Jesus' replete use of it, as preserved in the records he abridged to create what now constitutes 3 Nephi 11-27. The fact that Mormon only uses this idiom once, the only occurrence of this idiom within the Book of Mormon outside of 3 Nephi 11-27, strongly recommends that Mormon intended to make one of his most emphatic points using the idiom that Jesus himself used. To wit, he commends the dauntless faithfulness of Moroni, quote, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever, close quote, the devil would never have had power of the hearts of the children of men, close quote, to his readers as if Jesus were making the point himself. The repetition of Amen in averring truth or surety had a venerable history within the ancient Israelite tradition. 
In some contexts, the use of this word amounted to a solemn formula, whereby, quote, the hearer accepts the validity of a curse, close quote, or accepts, quote, an acceptable order or announcement, close quote. In others, it, quote, belonged to doxology, close quote. Jesus and Mormons' use of Amen echoes other solemn assertions in the Hebrew Bible. For example, in the trial by ordeal, Sota ritual, a woman suspected of adultery was required to affirm the curses upon her with a double Amen. Quote, and this water that causeth the curse shall go into thy bowels to make thy belly to swell and thy thigh to rot. And the woman shall say Amen, Amen. Numbers 5.22 At Ezra's reading of the law during the Feast of the Tabernacles, as recorded in Nehemiah, the people asseverate Ezra's blessing of the Lord. Quote, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Nehemiah 8.6 The similar collocation, Amen, We Amen, Amen and Amen, occurs in several psalms as temple hymns. Quote, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and Amen. Amen, We Amen. Psalm 41.13 Quote, And blessed be his glorious name forever, and let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and Amen. Amen, We Amen. Psalm 72.19 Quote, Blessed be the Lord forevermore. Amen and Amen. Amen, We Amen. Psalm 89.52 A man like unto Ammon, the logic of Mormon's comparison of Moroni to Ammon. It has been widely observed that Mormon's admiration for Moroni is amply evident to the fact that he named a son after him. Mormon's similar admiration for Ammon, the son of Mosiah II, is demonstrated in his comparison of Moroni to him. In Alma 48.18, Mormon's use of Aleph Memnun related terminology culminates in his comparison of Moroni and Ammon, a comparison of the Aleph Memnun related language used to emphasize the appropriateness of Ammon's name in Mormon's narration of the Lamanite conversion narratives, as in Alma 18.2 and 10, helps us to see Mormon's rhetorical and narratologic strategy in Alma 48. Alma 18.2 and 10. And when they had all testified to the things which they had seen, and he had learned of the faithfulness, Ammonot, of Ammon, in preserving his flocks, and also of his great power in contending against those who sought to slay him, he was astonished exceedingly, and said, Surely this is more than a man. Behold, is not this the great spirit, who doth send such great punishments upon this people because of their murders? Now, when King Lamoni heard that Ammon was preparing his horses and his chariots, he was more astonished, because of the faithfulness, C.F. Emunat, of Ammon, saying, Surely there has not been any servant among all my servants that has been so faithful, C.F. Neaman, as this man, for even he doth remember all my commandments to execute them. Alma 48.7 and 13-18 now it came to pass that while Amalekiah had thus been obtaining power by fraud and deceit, Moroni, on the other hand, had been preparing the minds of the people to be faithful unto the Lord their God. Yea, and he, Moroni, was a man who was firm in the faith of Christ, and he had sworn with an oath to defend his people, his rights, and his country, and his religion, 
even to the loss of his blood. Now the Nephites were taught to defend themselves against their enemies, even to the shedding of blood if it were necessary. Yea, and they were also taught never to give an offense. Yea, and never to raise the sword, except it were against an enemy, except it were to preserve their lives. And this was their faith, that by so doing, God would prosper them in the land. Or in other words, if they were faithful in keeping the commandments of God, that he would prosper them in the land. Yea, warn them to flee, or to prepare for war, according to their danger. And also that God would make it known unto them whither they should go to defend themselves against their enemies. And by so doing, the Lord would deliver them. And this was the faith of Moroni. And his heart did glory in it, not in the shedding of blood, but in doing good, in preserving his people, yea, in keeping the commandments of God, yea, and resisting iniquity. Yea, verily, verily, I say unto you, if all men had been and were and ever would be like unto Moroni, behold, the very powers of hell would have been shaken forever. Yea, the devil would never have power over the hearts of the children of men. Behold, he was a man like unto Ammon, the son of Mosiah, yea, and even the other sons of Mosiah, yea, and also Alma and his sons, for they were all men of God. Lamoni's statement in Alma 18.10, Surely there has not been any servant among all my servants that has been so faithful, as presented by Mormon, is intended to echo a scene in the Saul-David cycle, in which Ahimelech, chief of the priests of Nob, acclaimed David's faithfulness to Saul, who was seeking David's life. Quote, then Ahimelech answered the king and said, And who is so faithful, Naaman, among all thy servants as David, which is the king's son-in-law, and goeth at thy bidding, and is honorable in thine house? 1 Samuel 22.14 Using the Aleph Memnun concept, the Lamanite conversion narratives favorably compare and contrast Ammon with David, and Lamoni with Saul and Jonathan. Lamoni's father is also compared and contrasted to Saul. Lamoni perceived in Ammon what Saul was loath to acknowledge in David. Ammon was reliable and loyal to Lamoni as David was to Saul. Both were at one point completely loyal to the Lord. After David becomes king, his faithfulness to the covenant obligation fails in 2 Samuel 11-12 through in the matter of Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, while the faithfulness of Ammon who circumspectly eschews any appearance of monarchic ambition, e.g. Alma 17, 24-25, and 20, 16-27, never does fail. In affirming the faithfulness of Ammon, Mormon reports Lamoni twice using an adverbial term rendered surely in translation. In Hebrew, this concept could be expressed with the adverb Amen, as noted above, or with the similarly Aleph Mem Nun-derived adverbs Omna, verily, truly indeed, in truth indeed. Umnan, verily, truly indeed, really. And Omnam, surely, indeed, truly, verily, truly. Since Umnam is used in interrogative sentences, it is likely not the term Mormon uses here. Nevertheless, Omnam, Omna, and Amen all fit the context of Mormon's presentation of Lamoni's speech. The main point is that the repetition of Aleph Memnon derived adverbs in Alma 18, 2, and 10, along with additional Aleph Memnon related terminology, not only emphasizes the connection of Ammon with faithfulness, 
but it helps us see the nature of the emphasis Mormon attempted to give Moroni's faithfulness by his painstaking association of him with Ammon and the people of Ammon. The association of Ammon with Emunah that helped transform the Lamanites' unbelief to supreme faith and faithfulness was remembered until the final days of the Nephites. Behold, it was the faith, C.F. Emunat, of Ammon and his brethren, which wrought so great a miracle among the Lamanites. Ether 12.15 It was Mormon's son, Moroni, named for the one Mormon compares to Ammon, who made this paranomastic statement. Conclusion Apart from Jesus Christ himself, the man whom Mormon most admired was Moroni, the famed Nephite military leader. The first person to whom Mormon directly compares Moroni was Ammon, the son of Mosiah. Mormon's use and repetition of Aleph Mem Nun-related terminology, faithful, firm, faith, and verily, surely, terminology he emphatically used to characterize Ammon and the people converted through Ammon's faith and faithfulness, prepares the reader to appreciate this comparison. Ammon, whose name, life, and mission Mormon repeatedly associates with faith and faithfulness, his own and that of his converts, forever changed Lamanite and Nephite history, see Ether 12.15, thus becomes the high-water mark of Nephite faithfulness that Moroni manages to match. The Moroni-Ammon comparison with its preparatory Aleph Memnon rhetoric helps us more fully appreciate just how much Mormon loved and lionized both men. Author's Note I would like to thank Susie Bowen, Alan Wyatt, Jeff Lindsay, Victor Worth, and Alan Sykes for contributing to the publishing of this article. Matthew L. Bowen was raised in Orem, Utah, and graduated from Brigham Young University. He holds a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is currently an Associate Professor in Religious Education at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. He is also the author of Name as Keyword, Collected Essays on Onomastic Wordplay and the Temple in Mormon Scripture, Salt Lake City, Interpreter Foundation and Eborn Books, 2018. With Aaron P. Shade, he is the co-author of The Book of Moses, From the Ancient of Days to the Latter Days, Provo, Utah, Salt Lake City, Religious Studies Center and Deseret Book, 2021. He and his wife, the former Suzanne Blattberg, are the parents of three children, Zachariah, Nathan, and Adele. This has been a recording of Behold, He Was a Man Like Unto Ammon. Mormon's use of Aleph Mem Nun related terminology in praise of Moroni in Alma 48 by Matthew L. Bowen. Published in Interpreter, a journal of Latter day Saint faith and scholarship. Volume 58, 2023. Read by Victor Worth. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and is for non commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles on Latter-day Saint scripture can be found at journal.interpreterfoundation.org. More information about the Interpreter Foundation, along with a wide array of additional resources, can be found at interpreterfoundation.org.